Have you ever wondered what makes a culture? Or why some people love one culture but dislike another? Today's podcast will discuss the definition of culture and how we can all appreciate other cultures more. Be sure to listen for the question of the day so you can leave your answer in the comments. For the love of language and writing presents Sociology, What is Culture? Advanced Level. Humans are social creatures. Since the dawn of Homo sapiens nearly 250,000 years ago, people have grouped together into communities in order to survive. Living together, people form common habits and behaviors, from specific methods of child-rearing to preferred techniques for obtaining food. Almost every human behavior, from shopping to marriage to expressions of feelings, is learned. In the United States, people tend to view marriage as a choice between two people based on mutual feelings of love. In other nations and in other times, marriages have been arranged through an intricate process of interviews and negotiations between entire families. To someone raised in the United States, arranged marriages may seem strange or even wrong. Conversely, someone whose marriage was arranged might be perplexed with the idea of people choosing their own spouse without guidance from others. In both cases, a person from one culture may have misconceptions about the customs of the other. In other words, the way in which people view marriage depends largely on what they have been taught. Behavior based on learned customs is not a bad thing. Being familiar with unwritten rules helps people feel secure and normal. Most people want to live their daily lives confident that their behaviors will not be challenged or disrupted. But even an action as seemingly simple as commuting to work evidences a great deal of cultural propriety. Material culture refers to the objects or belongings of a group of people. Metro passes and bus tokens are part of material culture, as are automobiles, stores, and the physical structures where people worship. Non-material culture, in contrast, consists of the ideas, attitudes, and beliefs of a society. Material and non-material aspects of culture are linked, and physical objects often symbolize cultural ideas. A metro pass is a material object, but it represents a form of non-material culture, namely capitalism and the acceptance of paying for transportation. Clothing, hairstyles, and jewelry are part of material culture, but the appropriateness of wearing certain clothing for specific events reflects non-material culture. A school building belongs to material culture, but the teaching methods and educational standards are part of education's non-material culture. 
These material and non-material aspects of culture can vary subtly from region to region. As people travel from different regions to entirely different parts of the world, certain material and non-material aspects of culture become dramatically unfamiliar. As we interact with cultures other than our own, we become more aware of the differences and commonalities between other worlds and our own. Despite how much humans have in common, cultural differences are far more prevalent than similarities. For example, while all cultures have language, analysis of particular language structures and conversational etiquette reveal tremendous differences. In some cultures, it is common to stand close to others in conversation. People in other cultures keep more distance and maintain a large personal space. Even something as simple as eating and drinking varies greatly from culture to culture. The way cuisines vary across cultures fascinates many people. Some travelers pride themselves on their willingness to try unfamiliar foods, like celebrated food writer Anthony Bourdain, while others return home expressing gratitude for their native culture's fare. Some people might express disgust at other cultures' cuisine, while they don't question their own eating habits. And now it's time for our question of the day. What is one part of your culture that others may find strange? Practice your English by going to the link in the description and leaving a comment. If you find this podcast helpful, please leave a rating and review so it can reach more people like you who are working hard to improve their English. And don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified of new podcasts when they come out. Now, back to the podcast. Such attitudes are an example of ethnocentrism, or evaluating and judging another culture based on how it compares to one's own cultural norms. Ethnocentrism involves a belief or attitude that one's own culture is better than all others. A high level of appreciation for one's own culture can be healthy. A shared sense of community pride, for example, connects people in a society. However, ethnocentrism can lead to disdain or dislike for other cultures and could cause misunderstanding and conflict. People with the best intentions sometimes travel to a society to help its people because they see them as uneducated or backward, essentially inferior. In reality, these travelers are guilty of cultural imperialism. The deliberate imposition of one's own cultural values on another culture. Europe's colonial expansion, begun in the 16th century, was often accompanied by a severe cultural imperialism. European colonizers often viewed the people in the lands they colonized as uncultured savages who were in need of European governance, dress, religion, and other cultural practices. 
A more modern example of cultural imperialism may include the work of international aid agencies who introduce agricultural methods and plant species from their countries while overlooking indigenous varieties and agricultural approaches that are better suited to the particular region. Ethnocentrism can be so strong that when confronted with all of the differences of a new culture, one may experience disorientation and frustration. This is called culture shock. As people experience unanticipated differences from their own culture, discomfort and doubts about how to behave appropriately in the new situation appear. Eventually, as people learn more about a culture, they recover from culture shock. Culture shock may appear because people aren't always expecting cultural differences. Anthropologist Ken Barger discovered this when he conducted a participatory observation in an Inuit community in the Canadian Arctic. Originally from Indiana, Barger hesitated when invited to join a local snowshoe race. Sure enough, he finished last, to his mortification. But the tribal members congratulated him, saying, you really tried. In Barger's own culture, he had learned to value victory. To the Inuit people, winning was enjoyable, but their culture valued survival skills essential to their environment. How hard someone tried could mean the difference between life and death. Over the course of his stay, Barger participated in caribou hunts, learned how to take shelter in winter storms, and sometimes went days with little or no food to share among tribal members. Trying hard and working together, to non-material values, were indeed much more important than winning. During his time with the Inuit tribe, Barger learned to engage in cultural relativism. Cultural relativism is the practice of assessing a culture by its own standards, rather than viewing it through the lens of one's own culture. Practicing cultural relativism requires an open mind and a willingness to consider and even adapt to new values and norms. However, indiscriminately embracing everything about a new culture is not always possible and even the most culturally relativist people may question whether certain practices in other countries should be accepted as part of cultural tradition. Sociologists attempting to engage in cultural relativism then may struggle to reconcile aspects of their own culture with aspects of a culture that they are studying. Sometimes when people attempt to rectify feelings of ethnocentrism and develop cultural relativism, they swing too far to the other end of the spectrum. Xenocentrism is the opposite of ethnocentrism, and it refers to the belief that another culture is superior to one's own. An exchange student who goes home after a semester abroad or a sociologist who returns from the field, may find it difficult to associate with the values of their own culture after having experienced what they deem a more upright or nobler way of living.
Perhaps the greatest challenge for sociologists studying different cultures is the matter of keeping a perspective. It is impossible for anyone to keep all cultural biases at bay. The best we can do is strive to be aware of them. Pride in one's own culture doesn't have to lead to imposing its values on others, and an appreciation for another culture shouldn't preclude individuals from studying it with a critical eye. This article has been adapted from What is Culture? An Introduction to Sociology 2E by Heather Griffiths and Nathan Kearns, published by OpenStax in 2015. Access it for free at the link in the description. To download a free worksheet for this article, please visit lovelangrai.com. That's L-O-V-E-L-A-N-G-W-R-I.com. To get this audio and worksheets for all levels, beginner, intermediate, advanced, and TOEFL, please visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash lovelangrai. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.